Amen. Please be seated. And uh, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 as we continue our study in uh, Paul's letter, his letter to the church there in Corinth. I have uh, told you about my cousin Todd before on another occasion. Uh, for some reason, his life seems to provide me interesting sermon illustrations. And uh, we were talking this past week, and I reminded him of something he had forgotten. Of course, he quickly recalled it when we were talking about it. But uh, a few years ago, a number of years ago, Todd was driving to work, and he ran over a skunk. Now, you know, if a skunk wants you to know where he is, he can, he can warn you from miles away. Well, if you run over a skunk, uh, your whole car and you are going to, let me just say, smell differently for quite a while. And it was awful. I mean, his whole car smelled like skunk. He smelled like skunk. His suit smelled like skunk. But he was heading to work. And, and so he went on to work. His boss at EF Hutton said, you go home and take a shower. Well, Todd lived a little too far away. So uh, basically, the, his boss said, come home with me, take a shower. You can wear one of my suits. So he did, uh, wore one of his boss's suits, which was about twice his size. But he went back to work. Later that night, he had a date, showed up at the girl's house, and uh, she said, you are not coming in, and I am not going out with you. Uh, the next day, he took his suit to the dry cleaner, and uh, he said basically the same thing. Uh, you are staying outside, and I am not cleaning your suit. And then somebody, a friend, told him, well, the only way you can get that smell off of your car is to wash the entire thing in um, tomato juice. Uh, and so he did. He washed his whole car in, in tomato juice, but it didn't work. It took weeks for the smell to begin to, to go away. So all in all, Todd lost a suit, a girl, and nearly a car, all because of one smell, a very, very powerful smell. Now, believe it or not, that's what this passage that we're getting ready to look at is about. One very, very powerful smell. One particular fragrance with a very powerful impact. Second Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 12. When I, and of course this is Paul writing, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Let me just stop for a moment and, and tell you briefly what's going on. Paul had sent Titus earlier to Corinth. The church in Corinth was in trouble. There were false teachers. And, and Paul was greatly concerned that they would walk away from the gospel, walk away from Christ. And, and then they were supposed to meet in Troas. When Paul gets there, uh, Titus does not show up. He's concerned uh, and then he moves on to Macedonia, where eventually Titus and Paul will meet up. And, and that part of the story, Paul doesn't pick up again until chapter 7 of this same letter. In the meantime, what he does now in these next verses is change the subject. And, and that's where we're going to focus this morning, beginning in verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance 
of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we need to hear these words. They are your words uh, through the Apostle Paul. And they are for our edification. They are to help us grow up in Christ and to become more like him. And so, Lord, be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to do this morning is to draw out three very, very important truths from this passage. And and here they are. First, God's mission is our mission. God's mission is our mission. Second, there is only one way to participate in this mission. And third, you are sufficient for this mission. Let's uh, take them one at a time, beginning with the very first. God's mission is our mission. In verse 14, Paul tells us that God through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, the goal of that, the end game of God spreading through us the, the fragrance of the knowledge of himself everywhere is found in the Old Testament in Habakkuk chapter 2. And there we're told that one day when God has accomplished his mission, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. See, that's what God is doing. But the thing that we need to understand is that he has chosen to do that through us, through you, through me. We are, as Paul writes in verse 15, we are the aroma of Christ. You are the aroma of Christ if you are a follower of Jesus. God is on a mission, and that mission is for his glory to to fill the earth. And if that is God's mission, then then it outranks whatever mission we have decided to build our lives around, as as Ed Stetzer has, has put it so well. See, if that's God's mission, then it should define what we are more concerned about than than anything else. If that's God's mission, it should also be the church's mission. It has to be. It should orient our schedule, our priorities. It should dictate our activities and why we do them. Now, look, in in this season, during the pandemic, uh, it, it has become a time when we've had to be careful We've had to focus at some level, perhaps more than normal, on our own needs. And that's fine. That's a good thing. But what we must not do is then pull away, draw away from uh, the world or from each other in such a way that we forget what God has called us to be uh, about. Uh, Living for ourselves is not a big enough mission. God has called you to something so much bigger, and that is His mission, what He is doing on this earth. And, And I want you to think about it perhaps in a different way. You know, churches have a mission statement. We have a mission statement, and we are on a mission, so to speak. 
But there's a better way actually to think about this when, when it comes to understanding the Bible. And, and that is this. It's not so much that the church has a mission, but that the mission has a church. Now, now here's what I, I mean by that. Um, Adam fell. The glory of the Lord was then greatly compromised in this world. And so God is about reestablishing his glory throughout the entire earth. And he has chosen to fulfill that mission. He has chosen to put on this earth the church, you and me, for the sake of that mission. So it's not just that we have a mission. More importantly, it's that the mission, God's mission, has a church set apart to accomplish that mission on this earth. God has invited people like you and like me, gathered in churches like ours, to join him in fulfilling his chief desire, and that is to see his glory spread throughout the entire earth. Now, where does Paul go next? I mean, how does that actually happen? Well, it has to do with us being the aroma of Christ. Uh, you see, as, as you begin to follow Christ, as you really do submit your life to Christ, you begin to become more like Christ. Your character in terms of love and beauty and integrity and honesty, it becomes more like the Christ you follow. I mean, that's what a disciple is. You're learning to be like the one that you follow. And the more you become like Christ... Uh, the more aroma of Christ is present in your life and the more others are able then to see Christ through you. And, and what happens then is that Christ who is invisible to us becomes visible through us to those uh, around us. And when that happens, when people really do see you live in a way that is very different from the world because it is much more beautiful than the world, then some will be attracted to the Christ that they see in you. And they will submit to follow and to trust the God that has already embraced you. Here's really the, the point. God will use his found children to rescue his lost children. And that's at the very heart of God's mission on this earth. That's at the very heart of his mission to, to see his glory fill the earth as his image bearers redeemed really do express his own character on this earth. But here is where it gets kind of difficult. Here's where it gets a bit tricky, and here's where we're, we're tempted to kind of turn away and reject this mission because, as I said earlier, there's only one way to participate in this mission, and this is how we have to do it. The only way to participate in the mission of God is to embrace our weakness. Otherwise, you are participating in a very different mission, and that is to glorify yourself. The major theme of this letter to the church at Corinth is, is the triumph of God's grace in two ways. It's the triumph of God's grace over human weakness, uh, but also the triumph of God's grace through human weakness. And we see both of those in verse 14. 
But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, I, I want to talk about the, uh, this verse for a minute because uh, it's one of those verses that, if you're like me, I memorized it decades ago and yet didn't really understand it very well because I didn't understand the analogy that Paul was making. Uh, what Paul was doing was saying, look, you've seen something in your culture that I'm trying to relate to you now. And what they had seen on a number of occasions was a conquering Roman general at the end of a battle, at the end of a great success, come kind of parading through the city with his conquered captive enemy soldiers in tow as a part of the parade. So, so think about a kind of ticker tape parade after a great victory and here comes the, the conquering Roman general with his conquered captive enemy in tow. Now, the analogy then is this. You and I are that conquered captive enemy. This has to do with our conversion. Before we came to know Christ, we were rebels. Uh, we were choosing our own way. We, we were uh, against our God. And so God comes along then and enables us by conquering us, as it were, enables us to, to surrender our, our, our arms, to lay down our arms in, in surrender. And, and so really what you see there is then God triumphing over us in our weakness because we can't even lay down our arms. We can't even surrender to Christ apart from the grace of Christ to enable us to want to do that and to be able to do that. So there you have God triumphing over our weakness. But what about triumphing through our weakness? Well, a couple of things. One is, again, go back to this ticker tape parade. And, and what you see this Roman general do by bringing along these, these captive enemy soldiers is he's saying, look at me, look at uh, what I have accomplished. Uh, you see my great accomplishment as you look at them. And, and so, uh, again, as we follow God, uh, then we become what commentators have often referred to as trophies of God's grace. As we follow God, having surrendered our lives to God, becoming now more like God, uh, then it's very easy for us to be able to say, don't look at me, but look at the God who has conquered us. Because the only reason we have ever changed in any significant way, have ever become more beautiful like the beauty, beautiful character of Christ, is the God whom we follow. He is the one who has worked in us. So that now through us, you can see his glory and not our glory. Uh, there's one more thing, though, to, to kind of complete this analogy. Uh, oftentimes, when a, when a Roman general would come parading through the city, they would burn incense uh, that would kind of uh, let off this very beautiful fragrance into the air. And, and, and what Paul is then saying is, you are that fragrance. You are the, the, the beautiful aroma of Jesus Christ. And the more your character becomes like the character of God because of what God is doing in your life, uh, the more fragrant you become. And the more people are able to see in you the glory of the one who has subdued you and won you to his side. We are the aroma of Christ. 
And perhaps the most important thing to remember about this parade, as it were, is uh, that it, every, every bit of it is the work of God from beginning to end. It is God who leads his servants in triumph, and it is God who, through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, question then, all right, that's kind of theoretical, I, I, I get it. What does that look like in life? What does that mean for us today in, in, in this environment? Well, a couple of things. I mean, one, one, I could say, um, certainly I could talk about the fact that you and I, everywhere we go outside of this building, uh, we are supposed to represent Christ as his ambassadors, as we'll see later on uh, in uh, this book, this letter. I could talk about the, the missions we do overseas and the, the missions we're involved in here locally. And all of those things are right and good and important. But what I want to do instead is, is something different. I think something desperately needed in an era, in a time when there is so much division in our land. And, and that is this. What I want to do is, is say how God works through us as the church, as, as we love each other well, as we live in unity with each other really well, uh, we show the world something that really is different uh, from what they see oftentimes now in this very, very divisive time. So, let me give you some examples of that. What does that actually look like? Well, uh, we are the aroma of Christ when we confess sin, uh, especially perhaps those things that are, uh, are pretty bad. Because in doing so, what we do, and when we confess sin without fear, what we do is we are pointing through our sin to Christ. We're not saying, look at us and our glory. We're saying, look at our weakness so that you can see the glory of Jesus Christ. And what we're doing really is, is saying, I, I'm, I can confess without fear because I know that my acceptance by Christ has nothing to do with my actions and everything to do with his actions on my behalf. So we're, we're the aroma of Christ when we confess sin. Uh, we're also the aroma of Christ when we defer to each other. As, as men and women, boys and girls, in one family, the family of God, we are the aroma of Christ when we don't demand our rights. Because in doing so, we are pointing uh, to the one who never demanded his own rights and, and even gave up his own life. Even the right to life he gave up so that you and I would not only have life, but know how to live. And, and so when we don't demand our rights, we are pointing through our fallen nature to the one who is our Savior. We are the aroma of Christ when we choose not to make a name for ourselves, but to point out instead the great name of our great Savior. We're the aroma of Christ when we find more joy in telling stories of what God has done on our behalf than in celebrating our own accomplishments. We are the aroma of Christ when we show and tell others that Christ is sufficient for us even during the most difficult things that we go through. See, in all these things, we give opportunity for the world to see His glory and not ours. You know, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing, but one of the ways that God teaches preachers 
this message that uh, it is about him ultimately and not us and his sufficiency, his glory, his grace, his work, his strength, and our weaknesses uh, by every Sunday putting us out in front of the people of God uh, knowing that unless he speaks, nothing good is going to come of your message. No matter how much time you put into it, no matter how many wonderful illustrations you have, how logical your sermon is, if God doesn't show up, it means nothing. We might be able to make you laugh or cry, but we cannot make an eternal difference in your life. God has to be there. And so every Sunday morning, as preachers, we come dependent, radically dependent on God. But our whole lives, all of us, should be like that in every way. As the aroma of Christ, the only reason we can smell like Christ is because of Christ. That's it. There is no other way. And when we do present his character to the world, it is his glory and not our glory that becomes so much more visible on the earth. And what will happen is some will submit to that glory and embrace Christ, but others are going to reject Christ. That's the clear message of this passage. No matter how beautiful and how, how um, clear it is that your character reflects the beautiful character of Christ. Some are going to reject that message. And so, uh, that it, it is not a light thing that your life and my life as a, as a Christian is really a matter of life and death. The, the way we live, the words we speak, will mean life or death to a lost world. No wonder Paul cries out in verse 16, who is sufficient for these things? But let me tell you, um, the answer to that question is you are. You are sufficient for this mission. Sam Storms, wonderful pastor, has pointed out after reading the question in verse 16, who is sufficient for these things? Almost everyone immediately responds, well, certainly not me, not I, and, and not anybody I've ever known. I mean, how could it be that we are sufficient for life and death, eternal life and death? You know, humility seems to require that answer, but, but, but we miss what Paul is doing if, if that's the way we go. Paul is not thinking of self-sufficiency here. Uh, he knows, perhaps better than anyone, he knows that in and of himself, his life and words have no power over eternal matters. But as he will write in the very next chapter, such is the confidence that we have. Uh, hear that. I mean, he's, he's saying already, such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. See, you need to, it, one of the things that has to happen for us to be the aroma of Christ is that we have to live with each other and live in the world in such a way that we are confident, not in our own strength, in our own sufficiency, but in the God who is the one who has come to us, made us new, and now lives in us and through us, enabling us truly to show the world a very different way to live. Christ has made you, as a follower of Christ, sufficient to be a minister of the new covenant. You are sufficient. You are the aroma 
of Christ. You are the fragrance of heaven. Thursday, I uh, watched a really wonderful, brief, but wonderful video about uh, this Titanic historian who was being interviewed. And uh, his name is Bill Souter, and he tells this fascinating story about retrieving items from uh, this sunken ship. And, and, and he says this, when you retrieve stuff from the Titanic, it is wet, it is rusty, and it is rotten. And then he said something I thought, oh my, I just had never thought about it this way. He said the smell that comes off these things is perfectly alien. In other words, like nothing you've ever smelled before. And he said it's almost evil. It smells like the kind of death you have never experienced. And he talked about how that, that smell of death just kind of filled the, the room as they, were, as they were working through uh, with these, these relics. But one day, Souter's crew found in, in the Titanic, found this leather satchel that had within it vials of perfume. And, and, and Souter then describes the moment that they opened these vials of perfume. And at this point, he breaks down and, and weeps. And, and I thought, he is on national television. And, and he is so moved by this. So let me just tell you what, what he did say when he was able to get out these words. He said, suddenly, somebody opens up this leather satchel and out comes the fragrance of heaven. I have no idea, you know, where he got those words from. But, but he said, out comes the fragrance of heaven. All these flowers and fruity flavors. It is delicious. It is the most wonderful thing you have ever smelled. It, it was just a complete overwhelming experience. The fragrance of heaven then kind of moved through the room. And then he said this, which is, I mean, just, and this is what just and really moved him to break down and weep. So instead of being surrounded by all of these dead things, for those few minutes, the ship was alive again. You're the fragrance of heaven. You are the aroma of Christ. You are sufficient to bring life to a dead world. Believe it and live it. And the world will be affected by your life, because it is Christ in you, accomplishing his mission through you. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we, uh, we are probably caught off guard a bit by the thought that we are sufficient for such a task, and yet, uh, because of you, we are. Uh, Lord, would you help us as a church and as individuals to more fully embrace your mission on this earth? And to do so in such a way that shows your glory and doesn't speak to our own. Oh, Lord, give us the confidence that you have called us and that you have fitted us for this very purpose. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.